Welcome to episode 68 of Frank Reactions, the show where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name's Tema Frank. The other day, I came across a video on YouTube by an entrepreneur called Dan Locke, in which he was talking about the myths of entrepreneurship. And one of the myths that he talked about was the myth, in his opinion, that employee happiness is key. And he went on to say that it wasn't that pleasant to work with him, but he's very successful and profitable. Well, this, of course, runs fairly counter to my philosophy, which is if you don't have satisfied employees, you're not going to have happy customers. So I wanted to talk to him. And that's who today's interview is with. When it comes right down to it, I think we agreed on a lot more than that heading would suggest. But we do talk in here about what leads to employee satisfaction and intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and how that affects how employees behave. So enjoy the interview and I'll chat with you briefly at the end of it. Uh, my name is Dan Locke, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. Sometimes people ask me what I do. Uh, it's kind of difficult to explain because I do so many things. I, uh, I, I've, uh, I'm a published author. I've written 12 books. Uh, I'm a, a speaker. Uh, but mostly I spend most of my time uh, running my, my businesses and, and just managing my, my companies. Okay. And what sorts of companies are they? We have we are in real estate. We have we're in e-commerce. We have uh, a, I have a skincare line. Uh, I have uh, a membership site in, in table tennis niche, which probably is the number one table tennis niche uh, site. In, and and people ask me all the time, oh Dan, you know you've got this number one social you know platform for table tennis player. You must love love the game. I, say, I don't play table tennis. <laughs> you just understand marketing. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't I see an opportunity. Opportunity, um, and we strive to provide uh, good content to the audience. Uh, so, so many things, so many things. I love to create, I love to build things and, and make them grow. So with all those things, you obviously have some experience dealing with employees. Yes. And I was interested, I was watching a video of yours online and I'll... Oh, yes. <laughs> I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But you were talking about some of the myths of business. And one of the myths that you discussed was the myth that employee happiness is key. Now, I want to talk to you about that because yes. uh, you made the comment in that talk that it's not very pleasant to work with you. So tell me about why people do work with you and how you motivate them and why you think that's a myth altogether about employee happiness. Being. Uh, I think most entrepreneurs and when they first start a business, most of the time we work on our own. And that, you know, we, we are, we are making the call. We're writing the checks. We are talking with clients. We are the go-getter. You know, we, we try to deliver. If we are a service provider, we provide a service. We do the fulfillment. We do the follow-up. We do the customer service. You know, we do it all. And, and, and suddenly we hit a glass ceiling and say, oh, okay, I need some help. Uh, maybe I should just go get an assistant or something like that. Right. And very often the mistake that they make is they try to hire somebody without any experience. And in some cases, they might hire their family and friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know we know how that works, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and usually it doesn't. So I think how to hire, how to um, find the right people. So to answer your question, number one, um, I don't like to motivate people. I like to hire people who are already motivated. Okay. And I like to hire people that are not just motivated by money. Okay. There are three types of employees. Okay. 
Um, the first type is what I call a grunt. A grunt is just when you talk with them, they just they just, just want a job. Nine to five and do the bare minimum and kind of just see what they could get away with. Uh, sometimes during an interview, when you ask them questions, um, and at the end of the interview, you you know you could you could say, "Well, do you have any questions for me or the company?" If they ask questions such as, "Well, exactly, you know, how how many hours after work, what days, <laughs> yeah. and and do I get always get off on time?" Those type of questions, that's a grunt. Yep. Um, the second type, you have what I call a mercenary. A mercenary, of course, works for money. So at the end of the interview, at the end of the interview, they ask questions such as, "Well, you know, uh, do I get you know overpay, or, or or if I work longer hours, or vacation pay, or, or how do you uh, compensate? Like when, how can I get a raise? Do I, you know, is it is it because I'm here two years? A lot of money questions. Well, it's, it's a mercenary. Okay. Uh, and then the third type, which is the one that we want as, a, as an entrepreneur and business owner, is a patriot. Okay. A patriot is, at the end of the interview, usually before the interview, they've done pretty thorough research about your company. Yeah, that's something so, I always look for. <laughs> yes. There's something about that, that your company that attracts them in the first place. Right. Not just because you've got a name or it's a big company or whatever. It's some kind of mission that aligns with the value. And at the end of that interview, at the end of the interview, they're giving you ideas. You know what? I'm thinking about this. I see this. And have you thought about that? Um, they're very creative. They, they can't wait to contribute. Mm-hmm. And they don't talk much about money or working time. It's not important to them. Mm-hmm. A patriot, that's awesome. Uh, so you want to have as I mean, of course, within a company, uh, we want to have as many patriots as possible. In some cases, we want some mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a sales position, yeah. I want a, I want a mercenary. I want a hungry person who would go who's aggressive, who's go out there and, and close sales, right? Yeah. Uh, in some in some a men kind of roles, yeah, maybe we need some grunts. We all need a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want to have as many patients as possible. Okay. And those are good tips about looking at the types of questions they ask you. It always amazes me when I run a business that's very heavily web focused, even when I was running one that was strictly web marketing, and people would apply for jobs and not have bothered having checked the website. It's like, really? How can you expect that I would hire you? <laughs> yes. You know, have you heard of Google? Like, you know, exactly. like Facebook? <laughs> exactly. It's, 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 people are so lazy. I mean, as you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. If that's how they behave and, 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 and do, do work before we hire them, imagine what would happen after we hire them. Sure. Now, that said, okay, so the Patriot is sort of in many ways the ideal employee for most of the jobs. Yes. And yet you also said in your presentation that your relationship with your employees is inherently adversarial. Correct. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Because with employees, what happens is – employees are employees. Uh, And business owners, sometimes we try to – make them or force them into, oh, how come they don't think like us? Uh-huh. How come they don't have that ownership mentality? Mm-hmm. Well, I said, if they think like you, they will not be working for you. Right. <laughs> they They'd have, have their own business. <laughs> they will have their own business. Yeah. So what are their desires? As a business owner, at the end of the day, we're thinking, you know, how, much, how much profit are we making for the company? That's what we're thinking most of the time because we have a lot of, a lot of 
uh, stress. We have a lot of pressure as a business owner. We have taken a lot of risk. Uh, we, you know, put everything on the line for the business. Employees are not like that. Employees after work, they're not thinking about you so much. They have their, they have their life. They have their, their family. They have uh, so many things on their mind. The last thing on their mind is how much profit <laughs> the company's making at the end of the day. Versus us as an entrepreneur, as you know, uh, we are our business. Uh, it's, it, it's one. Of course. So it's a very different thing. So instead of forcing them trying to, th- how you should think like me or you should care the business like me, it's not going to happen. Uh, if it happens, good for you. But let's not count on that. Let's, let's, let's find out what their wants and desires and needs are and see if you can put them in a position that you can help them accomplish some of their personal goals. And if you could do that, then you have uh, a good productive employee. And that's why I don't try to bribe the employees. You know, let's buy them some movie tickets. Let's buy them Starbucks. Let's uh, do a lot of these things to kind of uh, to get the loyalty from them. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in more, hey, you know, they should get satisfaction. Right. Uh, from growth, from contribution, and from belonging to something greater than themselves. So how do you link their personal goals to that objective? Mm, good question. So every single company I'm in, involved with uh, that I own, uh, there's always a mission statement. Mm-hmm. This is the market that we serve. This is the difference that we want to make. Okay. So everybody knows that. So if if think because again, entrepreneur they go into business without without a mission, without a vision, uh, and some a lot of small business owners, and I work with a lot of them, they would say something like, "Well, you know, I just want to kind of make a little bit of money. <laughs> right. I just want to provide for my family. It's it's nice. It's okay to start with, but if you want to attract good people." Yeah. Uh, good talent. You need something way beyond than that. You, you want to have something that will impact the world, that people get excited about. Mm-hmm. When you, let's say you have that mission. That's number one. Then anyone that comes into your company that you, you're considering of hiring, well, do they, do they believe in that mission? Is, is this something, is this the culture? Is this something that they would buy into? Does it fit their personal philosophy? Mm-hmm. All their personality. If that's the case, great. So that's the second thing. Okay. Once they do, uh, then uh, and I, b- I believe a company needs to. That's why it needs to make uh, profit because if you can make enough profit, you can take good care of your employees. So they make good money. They're providing for the family. They're doing something that they enjoy. They're serving a market that they they they, they feel that they're making a difference. That's what creates loyalty. So what do you think about profit sharing? Yeah, I believe in that. I, I very much uh, I believe in, in not just profit sharing. Uh, every single company that I have today, I have a business partner or I have an operator. Okay. But I like to base a lot of things on performance. Yes. Um, let me give you an idea. So let's say it's Christmas time, company company's doing so well this year, and for the employees that we have, everybody gets a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yee-hee, right? Awesome. <laughs> uh, and next year, yeah, you know, it's Christmas time. Guess what? This time, profit up 20%. And everybody's happy. Everybody gets a bonus. Christmas, yay! Awesome. Right. It's the best company ever. Third year, hmm, economic downturn. Company's not doing so well. No Christmas bonus. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. You've set a standard. 
Yes. And, and I mean, I, I've even seen that happen when companies downsize the extravagance of their Christmas party. Yes. Quite apart from bonuses. Yes, because it it once sec once first time great, second time it becomes an obligation. Right. It becomes a habit. They're counting on it's. Oh, you know, my son is counting on the bonus to buy the Xbox. Yeah. Now my son is not happy. Now imagine it, from the business owner's point of view, I've given out bonus the first year, I've given I've given out bonus second year, and I think the performance it's they're performing better. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. A third year because the company is not doing so well. Sometimes that factor is not within my control. That third year now, employee employees are mad at me. Yeah, discredit the two years that I've given them bonus. Right. That's that's out of their memory. Mm-hmm. And now I have a whole bunch of people that are unhappy. Sure. So instead of doing that, I like to make everything that's measurable and performance based. Okay. That it's a very clear standard that. Um, I always tell my employees, I don't find nobody. You find yourself. Hmm. I've never, I've never find anybody in my life. You find yourself. Because very clear, when you come into the company, I said you don't need to please me. You don't need to, you know, kiss butt. You don't need to do any of that. Seriously, I don't care. Here's the performance standard. Yep. Here's the expectation. You meet these standard, we'll be, you'll be great. I'll help you accomplish your goal. You, you get what you want from this career, from this job. That's really, I mean, that's great. I, I agree completely. And there's this thing called results only work environment that you may or may not have heard, right? The challenge that I see with a lot of organizations is they're not really sure what the standard should be, especially for jobs that they don't do themselves. So if you've never been an executive assistant, you may have Mm. no idea how long some of those really tedious tasks take to do. Yes. So so how do you develop those standards? It's bit by bit. A lot of organizations, they think, well, let me give, give me an operation manual, right? Or give me a compensation plan that's like bulletproof, day one. It doesn't work that way. Right. Exactly like you said, uh, for every position, let's say a sales position would be very simple, mm-hmm. you know, sales and all of that, uh, but it could be customer service. Example, one of my companies, client retention, it's very key for us because all of the clients are on, on recurring. Okay. So the the customer service, I, and by the way, I don't. one thing I do within my company, I don't call them customer service people. Okay. What do you call them? Uh, I call so in the customer service working with clients and, and VIPs. Mm-hmm. I, I I give her a title of the director of Wow. <laughs> okay. So it's very clear what her job is. Right. Yes. It's to wow the clients to go the extra mile. Yeah. So the way I measure her performance is uh, number one client communication frequency. So we should at least get on the phone with the client once a month to see what what they need. Mm-hmm. Have have has she done that? Let's check that box. Okay, client retention. Uh, every month, are they, on average, our clients stay with us, you know, six months, twelve months, eight months, right? Mm-hmm. I notice if they renew their contract, yeah, that's another checkpoint, right? If they continue, so things like that, and you just keep adding to it, and you you discuss it with your with your team, right? And say, expect you to finish this in in twenty minutes, but it actually takes you five hours. Mm-hmm. So we have to manage our expectation, uh, and it's a frequent communication, and you get them involved. Okay, yeah. Now, if you uh, you presumably have relatively small teams working on yes. stuff, right? So, yes. so presumably there's fairly open communication then. Yes, very open communication. Right. Although you know, I get the feeling you're you're a very forceful guy. I would think talking to you for some of them might be kind of intimidating. 
It could be, uh, and that's why sometimes uh, every single one of my company I have, because I'm not there most of the time. If I showed up, yeah, surely it's not good. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so I put put myself like there's some distance between. But the funny thing is, I know most of them. I wouldn't say all of them, but I know most of them quite well. Okay. Because there are many forms of management, as you know, leadership. Uh, that you know, some people they manage by dictatorship. Right. I don't do that. Uh, and sometimes people manage by consent. Mm-hmm. Make sure everybody's happy. Everybody's on the same page. Um, that's one way to do it. Uh, I I like to manage by persuasion. Uh, I find out what they want. I find out their goals. I find out. I just I know them inside and out, and then I would make it very personal. Uh, so, example, instead of just um, let's say one of my employees, uh, their goal is to let's say a young guy. Okay, his goal is to buy a car, a Tesla. That's his big dream in a sales position. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just hey, you know what? You make you meet these quota, you meet these benchmark, you meet these goals, you would get this pay. I don't do that. I say you know what? Let's work out. Let's work out what would it take for you to get Tesla. <laughs> that they get a car of your dream. In order to do that, you need to make X amount of call, use this script with that conversion, mm-hmm. and within X amount of whatever period of time, if you could do that, if you can do even better than even sooner, you would get your Tesla. Right. Now, suddenly, you have a whole different level of motivation. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. The money itself is kind of abstract. It's, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so that- And I encourage them, put that Tesla in front of you on your desk. Sure. In, in, in your, you know, uh, screensaver. Look at that. Um, so when you have an employee like that, I don't need to call and, and kick his butt and motivate him. Are you making those calls? Are you are you following up? No, I don't need to. I don't like to micromanage. Right. Uh, and and I, in fact, the opposite. I, I find the best people. I filter them out. And so it's like the old saying, you know, high, slow, five, fast. I hire very slow. Very slow, uh, and I put them through a lot of loopholes. When they're ready to go, I train them uh, more, of, more of a coach. When I coach them on sales and things like that, that's how we develop the relationship. Right. Okay. Uh, and yet, let's get back to this question where you know the comment where you said it's not that pleasant to work with you. Why? Because I have high standard. Okay. And I just don't tolerate uh, tolerate uh, mediocrity. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funny thing is, if you actually work with me, every everybody. Almost everybody's saying, you're actually a lot easier to work with than I thought. <laughs> I said, good, because the reputations filter out the people I don't want. <laughs> I remember taking a high school physics class from a prof a teacher. The class was overcrowded at the beginning. Yes. And he had this reputation for being really scary. And he played it up like crazy mm-hmm. for the first two classes until mm-hmm. a bunch of people had dropped out. And then he was really friendly. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Same approach. So if we circle back to the very beginning of this conversation and that myth that employee happiness is key, I get the feeling that it's really a question of how you're defining happiness. Because if people are getting pride from working with you and joy from doing a good Mm -hmm. job, Mm -hmm. to me, that is them being happy. And that is important. (laughs) That's correct. And versus trying to chase happiness, as you know, it's like, well, I want to find happiness while it's already there. Yeah. And that's why my people stay with me for a long time. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. Um, I'll tell you a quick story, a funny story. Sure. Uh, My mentor, Dan Pena, years ago, he hired, uh, you could say, a COO. 
He is the oil uh, back in the eighties, uh, the oil industry. Okay. So this CEO one day. Walks up to walks into his office and he said, "Oh my God, Chairman, I'm so sorry. I just made a huge, huge mistake. I'm so sorry. I can't fix it. I think you're probably, probably going to fire me. It's going to cost the company a million dollars." Now most people would just like, "It just cost the company a million dollars. What the heck did you do?" That's a big mistake. Yep. That's a huge mistake. He's, "Oh my God, I'll be gone for sure. I mean, that's it." And then my mentor. Looked at him as a chairman at the time. He said, "You know what? Just, 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 just keep doing what you're doing. Learn from it. Because I just, I just invest a million dollars in your education." <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I fire you. Ah, oh, that is brilliant. I really so, like. Uh, wow. It, imagine how he feels, the COO. Oh yeah, talk about commitment. Wow. My goodness, he was on fire. He was. He was literally sleeping in the office. Yeah, I can believe it. I can he had a shower installed in his office. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Guess what? Over the years, about a, a decade, he's made my mentor over a hundred million dollars. Wow! Just think about it. Huh? It was a good investment. <laughs> so part of our job as an entrepreneur is you know, don't don't take your employees' heads off when they make a mistake. Yeah. I encourage my my people to make mistakes. It's because usually I'm the one that makes the most mistakes. <laughs> uh, and I admit, hey, you know what? I make mistakes. Let's learn from it. What have we learned from this? Right. Uh, and so once they get into the the company, it's truly I have very high standard. I expect a lot. But when we play, you know, we have fun. Uh, but it's a it's a great team. I, I more to use. It's more like a fam, a business family. Although it's interesting because, as you pointed out, um, they're not family. <laughs> we have and, the feeling of family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and but again, there's so many different leadership and management styles. This is just what works for me. Right. For sure. Uh, it's my more, more my personality. Unless you 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 point you pointed out, I have a stronger personality. Uh, uh, I could be forceful. Uh, I get stuff done, and that works for me. And you know, Steve Shop, he has a certain leadership style. And and if you actually talk to the people who have worked with Steve Shop personally, he's not a very pleasant guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the recently the movie Steve Shop, uh, the new movie, you watch that. I mean, that's that's the guy. Yeah, I did an interview uh, actually a couple of years ago with Guy Kawasaki, oh, who yes. of course had worked with Steve Jobs, and yeah. he made that comment. He said, you know, he was. A really tough guy to work for, and if he, you know, he wouldn't hesitate to tell you that you'd done something that was just crap. But he mm-hmm. said, "But if Steve told you it was crap, it really was." <laughs> yeah, it's attacking you personally. Just you did crappy work. Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, I think from Steve's point of view, he said you could do so much better than this. Why of do you course. blame him? Right? Of course. Yeah. And but nobody can argue with Apple's results, obviously. For sure. Uh, but again, that works for Steve. Might not work for for somebody else. Absolutely. Um, so you have like one end of continuum, like Steve Jobs, and you could have the other end of continuum, like uh, Richard Branson, who is more loose, right? Mm-hmm. Who is not as forceful, who is not as aggressive. That's perfectly fine. Both work. Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, we're kind of at the end of the time here. I'm just, and I don't know if I'll be able to keep this in the interview because I'll run out of time, but just at a personal level, I'm really yes. curious about your background and how you ended up where you are. Ah uh, yes. Uh, well, I first I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, I came to Canada when I was fourteen uh, years old. Okay. So my mom and dad came here, uh, immigrated to Canada, and then uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was sixteen. Ouch. 
So as the only child in my family, the funny thing is, growing up, I was never money did not interest me at all. Really? Not at all. Huh? No, no. Uh, I, I wasn't that. I was basically a punk kind of kid. Uh, at the time, I, when I got to Vancouver, I was going to school uh, in Surrey. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the only three Chinese in my school. Oh wow! So, Things have changed. <laughs> my goodness! Couldn't speak a language. Didn't know anybody. Had no friends. Got beat up, bully, um, and you know, took learned martial art just to build a little bit of confidence. And at the time when I was going through high school, my biggest dream, biggest dream, was to be a martial art instructor. Hmm. Um, then my dad's company in Hong Kong went bankrupt. Hmm. And basically, the partner took his money and and disappeared. Oh! And he was in debt for about two million dollar US. It's a lot of money. It's, yeah. it's two million US. And so he filed bankruptcy and couldn't send us money anymore. Mm-hmm. And whatever savings that we have, and uh, and then I had to kind of stop being a boy, kind of mature and, and man up. And I look at what I do and say, okay, I could be. Doing this, or make, or, you know, get a job. But how can I take care of my family? Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into business because I look at everything out there. Or in order to provide for my family, to do that, the best choice is to be your own boss. Hmm. So, uh, what was your first business? It's actually a lawn mowing business. Okay. Um, if I have time, and I would love to tell you that story. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story so you can fit it in. Okay. I'll keep it short. So anyway, okay. so one day I was jogging because I was you know, into martial arts, you know, uh, doing cardio work, right? Mm-hmm. So running around my neighborhood, and, and I saw this gentleman, older gentleman, and he was mowing his lawn, but he's probably in his like, late 70s. Yeah. And so the lawnmower was quite heavy. Mm-hmm. So as a young guy, I walked up to him and said, hey, you know, sir, do you need any help? You know, I'm, I'm running and I, I like to work out anyways. I can help you out. No nice. problem. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, oh, sure, young man, you're very nice. Okay, and then I help him mow the lawn and everything. Just so that I would just get a, get a sweat, like, you know, yeah. just get a workout. And at the end of that, I did the whole thing. He pulled 20 bucks and gave that to me. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Maybe Maybe I could do a... Maybe I can do more. Right. I wonder if other people need to need you know someone who mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. And I so I got the twenty bucks. Now, however, I did not have money for to buy a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Those things cost quite a bit. Right. It's almost a thousand bucks. So I don't know. Maybe there's some entrepreneurial DNA within me. So I talked with the older gentleman. I said, sir, you know, uh, would it be okay if I mow your lawn every week and you can let me use your lawnmower for your neighbors? <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I'll take care of it. I'll put gas in it. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll sharpen the blade. I'll make sure everything is good. He's like, well, no problem because I, I'm <laughs> sitting in my garage anyway. Right. Not, it's too heavy for me to lift. Yep. You mow my lawn once a week. There, a young man, you're so nice. No problem. <laughs> so I got my machine, no money down, right? <laughs> Perfect. So, so I had that, and that's how I got started. That's true entrepreneurial spirit, see, yeah, seeing I, an I, opportunity yes. and jumping on it. I, I, <laughs> yes, and that's how I kind of operate, you know, how I, I do business in my whole life now. Um, but it started off as a, a little giving. Here's one thing I've learned from that incident that I think affected the rest of my life. Yeah. And that is, in business, we have to learn to give before we will want to get anything. Right. Uh, that you want to give, you want to help other people before you ask anything in return. And you, there might never be anything in return. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by doing that, having that philosophy has helped me so much in business. So, so much. Mm-hmm. So much. Wow. 
Well, thank you. That is a good story. So I will figure out a way to leave it in. I'll just warn people it'll be a slightly longer episode than normal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I next time I'm in Vancouver, I'd love to meet with you if you're around. Although I Definitely. Definitely. Yeah? And if you come to Edmonton, give me a buzz. Yes, give me a shot anytime. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. One of the things that has driven me crazy about employers really since my first days as an employee, but particularly since I wrote the book Canada's Best Employers for Women, and one of the things that came up in that book was the frustration of so many employers relying on FaceTime instead of measuring and rewarding based on results. I actually have a whole section in my upcoming book, People Shock, where I talk about the different approaches such as uh, ROWE, Results Only Work Environment, and other approaches that try to focus on results instead of FaceTime. And so I thought it was very interesting when Dan talked about trying to make everything measurable and performance-based, setting standards. I think those things are really, really essential if you want to get the best out of your employees. I also loved his example of the million-dollar mistake uh, that the employer said, well, I've just invested a million dollars in your education, so let's move forward. So good lesson there. Don't fire people for making mistakes. Just make sure they learn from them. Quick little update on the book, People Shock. It's coming along, got some great podcast interviews booked, so I'm looking forward to doing those and doing some guest posting. So it's kind of fun now that the book is actually in the hands of the designer that I get to focus on fun stuff like marketing, which of course, that being my background is part of the job that I really love. I've also started doing webinars, which it turns out I really enjoy and seem to be reasonably good at. Uh, The one thing I find frustrating with them is kind of like with this podcast, which is you don't get to see your audience. So that's what makes live events much more fun in a lot of ways. So since I don't get to see you, I really, really value it if you do send me any kind of feedback, whether that's through email to tema, T-E-M-A, at frankreactions.com, or via Twitter at Tema Frank, via LinkedIn, or even via telephone. Uh, I've got a toll-free number in North America. It's 1-866-544-9262. And I'd really love to hear from you. I'd also love it you know, the standard podcaster's plea here. If you do have a chance to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review, that would be super awesome. And if you want to find out more about what's happening with People Shock and make sure you're one of the first people who can get your hands on it and get some related bonuses and extra materials, just go over to peopleshock.com and sign up to be on the People Shock Insiders list. Hope to see you there. That's all for this week. Talk to you in a week. Bye. Bye.